0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership.
1: This is Writing Excuses, season five, episode 14. Visual components of novels with Scott Westerfeld. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. And I'm Howard. And we have special guest star Scott Westerfeld, the New York Times bestselling author of the Ugly series and the new Leviathan series. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you very much for sitting in with us. It's a pleasure. Um, I have been wanting to do a podcast about this for a long time, and having you gives us this opportunity. Um, the What I'm talking about is um, when we create novels, we often have a visual component. Even with my, my early fantasy novels, we were doing symbols and um, you know little chapter icons and headings. You You've done something extremely fascinating to me with Leviathan. Um, Will you talk about that a little bit just to tell people what we're talking about? Well, Leviathan set in
2: 1914, and what I wanted to do was actually um, make it look like a book from 1914. And of course, you know, those of you who've read old editions of Jane Austen or Charles Dickens or H.G. Wells know that back in the day, you know, 100 years ago, there were illustrations in basically every book. Novels had illustrations in them, that was just par for the course. And um, you know, it wasn't until the 20s and 30s, and the era of cheap paperbacks and of photography, that. That you know, illustrations disappeared from novels. So I was just thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool if, when you read Leviathan, you know, set in 1914, you you know, it was like going back in time and you were reading an illustrated novel. Right. So I um so about I realized this about 60 pages in, uh you know, put the project aside for a while and found an amazing um, artist named Keith Thompson, Canadian guy. And we've been working on uh, this whole trilogy together. He's doing more than 50 illustrations for every book. And so it's, you know, it's an incredibly transformative process for me as a, as a novelist who's never written a graphic novel, never written comics, never written plays or screenplays or anything. And now here I am writing
1: for a visual medium. Yeah. So that's um, an
0: extra 50,000 words. Yeah,
1: well. <laughs> Technically, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you, if you guys listening haven't seen, particularly the map, for Leviathan, the full-color map, you can find it online. It's been passed around, it's been moving, you know, you see it linked on pages and people don't even know where it's from. It's this gorgeous map, um, which is done in the style of the types of maps that were from the period. Did you do that intentionally? Is all the art in the book period intention- intentionally replicating art that was done during that time? Yeah, when
2: I first gave the sort of three-year schedule to Keith um, that was going to cover everything we were going to do he he said yeah can we add a month to the beginning of this and i was like you want to go to like you know aruba or something <laughs> and he said no what i want to do is i want to read punch magazine for like a month and just do visual research and figure out how mm-hmm. all this stuff is is going to look and how how it looked back then right and with the map, of course, he you know he found all these great allegorical maps from the olden days, mm-hmm. you know teaching maps for illiterate people, where the uh, countries were drawn in the shapes of creatures or um, you know or objects or people, and and they're just and they're just really amazing. And there was a whole there was a whole genre of maps that were allegorical, and. He, you know, he riffed on that and updated it and made this wonderful sort of collage where Russia is in the shape of a giant bear, you know, eating Austria-Hungary. Austria-Hungary stabbing at Serbia. Germany is like this huge gun aimed at the right. head of Russia. It's just a, it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah.
1: Well, and it plays into one of the, the reasons I like this, um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do something like this in *Way of Kings* um, is because. There are certain things you can show world-building wise in some illustrations that just completely explain everything that sometimes in fantasy you can struggle from pages and chapters and books to get a Sense. simple idea of why a picture
0: paints a thousand yeah. words. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, what? what you've done with those illustrations. By the way, my wife has been reading uh, Leviathan to the kids at bedtime. And uh, so I've been enjoying the audiobook as read by my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, what you've done there is not just illustrated the novel; you've taken a shortcut to
1: plunge the reader into that world yeah. instantly from the first from the first page. The sense of immersion. I mean, um, let me tell you what was going on. With me at the same time, you're working on this thing. I actually pitched to Tor The Way of Kings, which is uh, my big epic. Um, And I said, I want it it illustrated. I want to have I want to have 15 maps and 15 illustrations. Um, 15 maps. That's great. Yeah, 15. No, it's like it's 10 maps and 20 illustrations. But I wanted the thing about it is if you look at a world like this, um, map making cartography is a big part of it. And um, one of the things I love about something like Tolkien, if you look at Tolkien, you know the map was a map from In World. And it was a map they carried around. And this is something we've gotten away from in fantasy that really has been a pet peeve of mine for a while, that it's generic that there's going to be a map in the front. Right. And where did this map come from? Eh, this map is just there. Um, you got to have a map. And that's doing it for the wrong reasons, in my opinion.
2: Right, it's a modern map, basically, yeah. of this not-modern world.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I said, I want to have maps. I want to have one of the maps that we have is, um, is it's actually a shell that someone carried around that they carved instructions and a little diagram themselves, because they're illiterate, to get right. around in the camp. And so we wanted to have, I wanted to have this, and I pitched this to him, and Tom Doherty, who's, um, who's the, the president of Tor, of Tor, wonderful guy, says, Brandon, if we put too many illustrations in, they'll think it's a graphic novel. And that'll lose your audience. We're very, we're really worried about this. Um, and did you have any resistance with that? Where they said, we don't want to do a graphic novel. You're a novelist. If we pitch a graphic novel, it's a different audience. They may not buy it. It actually
2: wasn't. The, the issue wasn't to do with a uh, graphic novel. But because I'm a YA writer, uh-huh. which means I write typically for 12 up, 14 up, right. that means when they heard it was going to be a lot of illustrations, they thought, oh, so you're doing a middle grade. Oh, In other words, you're doing course. something for age 10 through 12 rather yeah. than 12 up. And, you know, and, and I had to convince them, no, this is actually a, a totally legit teen novel. We're going to keep totally in the teen novel world. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be, uh, you know, I started off saying 20 illustrations, then sort of moved it to 20 to 30. The contract says 30 to 40, and we turned in 50. Right. So, you know, I was, I was edging up the whole time, knowing there would be a little bit of resistance grade level-wise. I mean, right. that's one of the things that happened with... Um, in the history of English language books, is that the illustrations dropped out of adult books first, right. in like the 20s, and in the 30s and 40s they started dropping out of the teen books, and it became a marker of age. Whereas, of course, originally all books you right know, were illustrated. Were, yeah, were yeah. illustrated, and and this whole idea that um, you know the, the two people who, who were supposed to have pictures in their books were um, were little kids and those dirty immigrants who couldn't speak English, mm. which is what comics were all about, and what right. right? comics have always been demonized, right? And you know, especially in the 40s, 50s in America, and um, and I think that is sort of what, and and that sort of weird slightly puritan approach right. to what illustrations are and and you know you get lots of people still saying you know oh but you know don't you want to use your imagination and i'm like you know did people get imaginations in 1920 right. because you know before then there were illustrations in all these books and you know this was a technological shift having to do with cheap paperbacks photography and other stuff it has nothing to do with the, imag- the imagination it has right. to do with you know
1: custom and style and, and all this other stuff. Well, if that were the so, argument, you would put these beautiful cover illustrations on all the books that we do. Exactly. As a, as a comic book
0: guy, um, when I look at books that have illustrations in them, I find that uh, my imagination, um, let me back up a little bit. If you're outlining something, um, you're able to write an outline and then look at your outline and leap from there further into the book. Uh, than you were on that first time, you know that first pass with an illustration. Your imagination is able to start at the illustration and leap much further into the book than you could have without the illustration being there to begin with. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that, I, especially
2: well, as somebody who's writing steampunk, I have found it very useful because, you know, I go, I, you know, I've been on this school and I've been doing tours. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, I've been on this tour and I've been doing schools. And, you know, you go into like a Catholic boys school and sit in front of like 350, um, you know, boys in ties, a little uncomfortable, squeaking on their chairs. And if I start saying steampunk is Victorian science fiction, something, 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 Jules Byrne, something, something. And they would all just... They would all tune out so fast. But instead, I have my little iPad and my little projector, and I show a big, giant, walking tank. Right. And they all say... Dude, big giant walking tank. And they sit up and they pay attention and it is awesome from then on out. And I don't have to go into what steampunk is. They, they know and see and feel what steampunk is. Right. They, know it's a, they know it's an old fashioned tank. They, they start asking immediately, you know, why is it old fashioned? Why does it have legs? Why does it have, you know, what happened to the wheels? What, you know, it, that looks like a, a, one kid said that looks like a Spandau machine gun. I was like, yeah, it is. How'd you know? He said, oh, it's just the British version of a, or oh, it's just the German version of a Maxim gun. So, you know, they knew all this stuff. They had this visual culture down right when it came to you know military stuff and and just to give them a glimpse of that immediately transported them you know it saved a lot of time you know not not into about not necessarily about being right. transported into the story but even being transported into the project of the idea that they would want to read this book
1: in yeah. the first place now that's um, i mean having done school presentations before i so envy you having that <laughs> Um, okay, of the, the, the visual component. Um, let's stop for our book of the week, which is, not surprisingly, going to be *Leviathan* by Scott Westerfeld. Um, Scott, why don't you give us um, like a, a thirty-second promo of this book? You've, we've been doing it the entire podcast, but yeah. sure.
2: But no, uh, this will this will get okay. Thirty seconds. Yeah. The. Um, it's set during the Great War, World War One, and it's told from the point of view of the son of the Archduke Ferdinand. Okay. He's one of the characters. The other one is uh, Darren Sharp, who's a girl pretending to be a boy, so she can serve in the Royal Air Navy. Um, and she is, uh, and, you know, so they, they're sort of like Romeo and Juliet, Montague's Capulets thrown together, forced to become allies. And the, the background of the world is that the Germans have this sort of very steampunk, dieselpunk, walking tanks thing going on. And the Darwinists, the other side in the war, uh, basically Charles Darwin discovered DNA and started creating this Edwardian biotechnology. So the airships are alive. The, uh, there's message lizards, you know, flechette bats that... Right. that eat spikes and poo them on the enemy. And uh, so it's basically, it's living machines versus these metal walking machines.
1: Excellent. Um, And it's read by Alan Cumming. Yes. Which is a big selling point, I think, for the um, for the audiobook. Yeah, um, you can download. You can go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Uh, start a fifteen day free trial and um, download a free copy of uh, Leviathan by Scott Westerfield, which I highly recommend. It is an excellent book. Now, one of the things I want to talk about, and to make sure we get to it, is yeah.
2: that I reading um, writing an illustrated novel. One of the cool things about it is that it's it's created all these new storytelling techniques that I have to use. Mm-hmm. Like there were a couple of cases where I did like five scenes in a row at night. And then when the sketches came back, I was like, Keith, these are kind of dark. He was like, "Dude, it's night," <laughs> and I realized that you know that's not an issue when you're yeah. a regular text novelist, but when you're doing illustration, every chapter
1: that
2: mm-hmm. you have to break up the light scenes and the dark scenes. And the same thing happened with too many scenes in a row being crowded, mm-hmm. or too many scenes in a row with just two people in them. Yeah, you uh, like you all have to let the visual space in which your story is happening sort of. Breathe.
0: Welcome to my world. <laughs> I, as I script Schlock Mercenary, uh, I deal with that all the time. Yeah, of course, yeah, I, I can write. I, hey, it's
1: a crowd of five hundred thousand people. Howard, right. if you
0: want to put a crowd of five hundred thousand people, that's a completely different crowd. Thing. of Five hundred thousand people isn't all that hard okay. because you can back up and that's you take right. an average. But uh, a crowd of fifteen. A crowd high. of fifteen is really annoying, especially when you know ten of them. Yeah, uh, I,
2: I wrote a, I wrote a um, one scene, and Keith sent me back the illustration, and I was, and I said like, "There's five people in the scene. Why there's only three in your illustration?" He said, "Well, yeah, it was kind of crowded." And I was like, Keith, just put him in there. And, I, and he sent me the sketch. I was like, oh, wow, you're right. It is crowded. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look right. There, the, the cabin they're in, in, you know, it's an airship cabin. It's too small. Mm-hmm. I should rewrite the scene, shouldn't I? That's one of the
0: things that fascinated me. Uh, I, even working within a visual medium, there are things that I often don't think about. Uh, I had a, a friend design deck plans for one of my ships. And he showed me these deck plans, and you know we we talked about them, and I suddenly realized, wow, that's uh, if the gravity goes out, the swimming pool ends up. <laughs> running through the ship this way. And we both laughed and laughed and laughed. And that ended up in the story. And it wouldn't have been there if I hadn't been looking at an illustration that somebody else had done based on my concept right.
2: sketches. I feel like, yeah, Keith is a better engineer than me. Like, I, I used to think that, oh, I visualize everything. Oh, I know what this stuff looks like. I'm a good, good, good <laughs> science fiction novelist full of world buildingness. And then, you know, when he starts sending me stuff, I'm like, it's not that big, is it? He said, yeah, check it out. You said, this, this, and this about it. These objects have to fit into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because he has to know, in a way, I don't have to know. He yeah. has to know what people are wearing. I don't have to know that. In every scene you are right, you don't
1: necessarily know what they're wearing. Did you find it helpful, though? I'll tell you, when I was doing Way of Kings, I actually commissioned some concept art. Um, that didn't end up in the book. That I wasn't planning to put in the book, but gave me the characters. Um, and suddenly I'm like, wow! I want to do this with every book I ever write because I have right in my hands exactly how this person looks, and I can describe quirks of them in a way that I actually I couldn't before. It, it was very interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, we w- we've wound up doing deck plans, and you know, some they're in color. They're incredibly richly complex, and, um, and we're actually going to wind up doing an, an all-art book, sort of yeah. like the Spiderwick Field Guide that yeah. Tony yeah. Deterlizzi yeah. and Charlie Black did. And so, so, you know, the deck plans will eventually be available. They're not in the novels, but we're going to do a color,
1: large format book, Excellent. because that stuff is so cool. Yeah. Alright, well, we're out of time. Howard, um, I'm going to make you give us a writing prompt. Okay.
0: Um, I'm going to make you draw a picture. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I want you to draw the from, from the, from above, draw the floor plan of the house or the building that you are in, and now write an action scene that involves
1: knocking out one of those walls. Okay. You're out of excuses. Interesting. Now, oh, now go right.